Thank you for listening to the Celebration Church podcast. For more information about Celebration Church, go to ccacron.org. There you will find information about our church, upcoming events, and how to make a contribution to the ministry of Celebration Church. We hope this message is an encouragement to you. We all are going to have to be extra extra loud today because I'm all congested, so I can't hear really a thing that you're saying or doing out there, and uh, so you have to give it extra oomph today so I know you're out there. Otherwise, I think you're asleep. I'm telling you, I can't hear you. Are you all out there? So, so go ahead and get warmed up. Get your vocal cords all warmed up because, uh, you know, we normally are responsive anyway, but, uh, uh, you know, I'm having a harder time today, so, and I'm just, I'm believing that I'm going to make it through the message today, but I'm going to ask uh, Kathy, she was just up here, where's she at? There she is, Kathy to come up. You know, we've been uh, taking time over the past couple of weeks and, and ministering on the importance of each of us reaching out and finding the person that God's placed in your life for you to begin to minister to and love on. Amen. Just making sure you're out there, because I can't hear you, like I said, so y'all are going to have to get loud. And uh, so last week, we took, a, we took a look at the lost coin, and th- that each of us, God wants to come and light the Holy Ghost fire of our life. He wants to come and light the lamp of our lives that we can begin to search and find the miracle that's in our house, begin to find the miracle, begin to find the lost person that God has placed in our lives. And, uh, you know, Kathy's one of our interns, and she's, God's been doing a work in her life and uh, really been challenging her to reach out. So, Kathy, why don't you just share what God's been doing and what's been going on? cheat sheet to uh, keep me on track a little bit. Um, This is a short story of what God will do if you just allow him to use you. Um, I was never good at witnessing, and I avoided it at all costs. Um, And I thought for many years that uh, a silent witness was the way to go. Um, (laughs) I really believed in that. But, I mean, God can use that, but... um, it's not all that effective. There's people all around us in great, great need. Um, So I work in a kitchen uh, second shift, and that means I work with another person by myself for several hours. Um, So this this coworker of mine, his name's Mike, um, he uh, he made it obvious to everyone in the kitchen that um, he was going through some real trials with his marriage. Um, and he was, he was in extreme pain over this and just didn't know what to do. And, and he was at the point of leaving his wife. Um, and so I, I began to see that, um, you know, God placed this on my heart. And I, I'm like, well, I've got to say something to him, you know. Um, so I began praying that, um, that God would give me boldness. I mean, supernatural boldness um, and and an opening, which he always does. If if you pray that prayer, he will always give you an opening. Um, So one day I, uh, I, you know, I was listening and I I came to him and I said, um, you know, I don't know what to tell you to do. I, I can't tell you what to do, but I can tell you 
um, how I get through these difficult times in my life. And it's my relationship with God. Um, it started there. And, um, sorry. It started there, and we began to have many conversations. Um, but that day, I planted a seed, and um, I went home, and I, I said, okay, well, I've, I've done that. I, I'm done. <laughs> um, God had other plans, and um, we had many opportunities to, to talk. And um, the, the next time... Um, I, I began sharing with him some other things that I had missed the first time. And um, I started telling him about how God answers prayer when you're in relationship with him. Um, and he says to me, well, you know, that's kind of funny because God's been answering a lot of my prayers recently. I'm like, well, that's really awesome. So I said to him, well, have you ever asked Jesus into your heart as your personal savior? And he said, well, yeah, actually a couple of times this week. <laughs> yeah, I said, wow, that's really awesome. Um, so I found out he doesn't have a Bible. Um, and um, I went home and, and I got a Bible and I, I gave it to him. And I said, well, you know, read this. <laughs> and, um, you know, keep, keep praying. And, um, you know, it would be really good if you could go to church, preferably, preferably my church. <laughs> but um, he actually went out and found um, his own, uh, like, a non-denominational non church. And it sounds like it's a good one. Um, and he went um, two weeks ago. And he came back, yeah, he came back to me and said, I went to church on Sunday. And I said, that, that's awesome. Um, and so we've had a lot of chances to talk, and I, I've just been telling them, just keep what you're do doing what you're doing, you know, keep praying, keep, you know, keep going to church, keep, you know, read the Bible. Um, so a couple of days ago, he comes to me and he says, um, guess what I'm doing on Sunday? I'm going to church with my wife and, and our little girl. <laughs> Yeah. And I thought, oh, that's not all. Okay. Okay, this is a good part, too. Um, I, I knew it would take a miracle for God to, um, you know, save their marriage. But he says to me, um, you know, it's really, really weird, but um, my marriage has just been better, like, all of a sudden, like, all by itself. <laughs> And I said, well, that's God, you know. So, um, you know, I, I just want to praise him because it's, it's truly an amazing story. And that's awesome. Amen. So you don't, have to, you don't have to have the perfect script and you don't have to have the perfect thing to say. You just begin to open up your mouth and allow God to fill it. Just begin to open your mouth. There's someone around you that God has placed in your life specifically for you to open up your mouth and begin to minister life and hope and healing to them. And it may be just as simple as saying, I'm praying for you. 
or God has a plan for your life. It may just be as simple. She said, I don't know if Kathy actually said this, but she said that when he gave, when she gave him the Bible, that he took it home and started to read it, and she said that he came back to her and said, I got this real tingling feeling all over me when I started reading the Bible. So what was that all about? She said, that's the Holy Spirit touching you while you're reading and making it alive. So it's awesome. So just begin to allow God to use you in a supernatural way. And if you need further encouragement, maybe this video will uh, help you out with that. Here at the National Institute for Student Ministries, we've discovered a new method of evangelism that is shaking the very foundation of our thinking. It may appear unorthodox, but frankly, we're shocked at the results. We're amazed at this revolutionary idea especially designed to boost student evangelism. Why did I want to be the evangelism linebacker? Well, let me put it to you like this. You see, as a fish was created to swim in water, as a bird was created to fly, I was created to knock people out who don't evangelize. The evangelism linebacker deals directly with a variety of students' fears associated with sharing their faith. All right, it's all you. This house has got your name on it. I'm not ready yet. What makes you think I'm ready, though? Fear of rejection, for example. Let me talk to you about fear. Fourth and one, Jerry Rice, what you gonna do? That don't compare to fourth and one in eternity. It doesn't matter who rejects us because we're always accepted by Christ. God loves you. Get off the flow and go door to door. Can we talk to you for a minute? I'm a lover, not a fighter, baby. He loves you, but it might hurt. Sometimes I'll blow you up, but it's because I love you. Yeah, but just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean I need to be out sharing my faith. I mean, ah! don't you run from me! You can't escape my class! D-Clay will throw you in the trash! Thanks to the evangelism linebacker, campus evangelism nationwide is up 87%. Ah, thank you, Mr. Good. I'll never do it again! Hey, I can't go to the outreach today. I, got, I just got some more important things I got to do. Uh-huh. Hey man, give me a break. I went to church on Sunday. I gotta go. Selfishness? The world needs a message. For God to love the world, it wants to communicate it through you. If you procrastinate, you will open up the gate to a beatdown. Give me that phone, boy. When I see selfishness, it is my job to blow them up. That's what I do. I blow them up so that they can get their eyes off of self and look at Christ, the prize. What's up, baby girl? Nah, I'm busy. We're intrigued, as the linebacker is particularly effective in infiltrating centers of cultural and intellectual exchange. Here you go. Here's your double cappuccino latte mocha with a twist. Not too hot, not too cold. Perfect for you. Yeah, but anyway, man, did you hear that talk from that guy the other night? Oh, I know. Like, we're supposed to be sharing our faith and, like, coffee shop. Woo! <laughs> Woo! Shut out in a coffee shop, baby! It's unlikely that the recent decline in coffee sales has anything to do with our program. 
pride comes before the fall. That's Old Testament. Old Testament. You know this. Thanks for the coffee, Darren. Hey, you're welcome. Have a nice day. Your mama raised you better than this boy. Don't let me blow you up no more. You see, I think it's fitting because when people have pride, that they're too prideful to share their faith, what I do is I knocks the pride out of them. What I would like to communicate to my brothers and sisters is this. When you least expect it, around the corner, perhaps even under your bed, I can be in a phone wire, I can be everywhere, and just know that I'm always watching, ready to lay the boom on you, baby. Booyah! Ouch. Are you ready for game day? <laughs> <coughs> well, if you needed encouragement, there you go. You never know. We might have our own evangelism linebacker. We might ask Ron Unk to come and start tackling people. <laughs> Luke chapter 15. We're going to continue today in the Reach One series. Each of us have someone to reach. God has placed someone in our lives to begin to reach out to. Last week, we, take, we took a look at the lost coin. And this week, I want to take a look at the lost son. In Luke chapter 15... Starting in verse 11, it says, then he said, now remember, Jesus was teaching, let me just set the stage for those that may have missed last week's message, which by the way, you can always get them uh, on, online on the podcast or on iTunes, but uh, Jesus was teaching and attracting a crowd, uh, and as Jesus always did, he had a great way of attracting attention, attracting a crowd, but the crowd that he was attracting was the, the sinners, the tax collectors and sinners, and the religious leaders were getting aggravated. They were getting very actually quite indignant with Jesus and began to complain about his ministry. They began to murmur and complain. And remember last week we took a look at uh, complaining and, and, and very simply put that when you are not actively engaged in ministry, you will find yourself in a place where it's easy to complain about those who are engaged. When you're not actively fulfilling what God has placed in your life to do and begin to share the message of Christ with other people and you begin to sit back and find yourself in a place of spiritual apathy and laziness, it's very easy to sit by and complain. Charles Spurgeon talked about the, wa uh, the honeybees becoming drones or wasps because they weren't actively engaged in, in the business of ministry. And that's what really begins to happen in church Instead of engaging in ministry, we turn on each other and begin to attack one another and tear each other down. And that's what was happening in Jesus' uh, ministry in this point. And so Jesus shares with them these three examples. He says, look, if one of you loses a sheep, would you go out? Would you not go out and try to find the lost sheep? And when you have found the sheep, you bring it back rejoicing. It There's a change of heart. There's a change of attitude that takes place when you, when you begin to engage in supernatural ministry. And so if you find yourself today spiritually stagnant, or if you find yourself maybe uh, saying that, there, you could do it better, or you, you find a way to uh, correct God and his methods and his means, maybe you ought to engage in finding that lost sheep or that lost coin, and you'll find that your, your spiritual fervor and your spiritual passion will be rekindled. Yeah. I'm glad my wife and Bob are with me. I, I can hear them. They're right here. 
You know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, one of the things that we encourage small group leaders to do, if you find, and, and those of you who are small group leaders, maybe you're leading a home group or something uh, of those means, and, uh, and you find that your group begins to stagnate and doesn't have the fervor that it once had. One of the best ways to bring new life to your small group is go out and find a, a, a lost person and get them born again in your group, and all of a sudden these spiritual uh, Seasoned spiritual saints all become mommies and daddies to this newborn uh, spiritual babe. And so I want to encourage you, as I've said last week, most of you in this room have been sitting under the ministry here at Celebration for a long time. You've been in church for a long time. You've received something powerful in your life. You have the Word of God active in your life. Now it's time to press the engage button. It's time to press. Well, I'm, I'm busy about children's ministry. I'm, I'm doing JBQ. I'm doing men's ministry. I'm doing... Feel it. That's not what I'm talking about, friend. I'm not talking about just engaging and punching the time clock and doing a good... All those things are good, but those are opportunities for us to begin to impact the world around us. If all you're doing is coming and punching a time clock, we've missed the purpose of what we're doing. We've missed out on the, on the why, if you will, of what we're doing. We've missed out on the purpose of what we're doing. We have been called uh, by God, placed here in the Great Lakes region to have an impact on our community, to preach the gospel and begin to see those who are oppressed and discouraged lifted up, to see the sick healed, to see the, uh, the blinded eyes open. Anybody with me this morning? That's why God has placed us here. And so if you and I begin to engage in the ministry that God's called us to, all of a sudden we'll find ourselves uh, with a spiritual passion and fervor that maybe once waned, we'll find it again being uh, engulfed by the fire of the Holy Ghost. And so this woman uh, began to search her house. She had the ten coins we talked about last week. She had been given this as a wedding gift, and she's, she's doing uh, whatever she was doing around the house, and one of the coins on the necklace comes off, and she loses it. And she lights the lamp, and she begins to search the house, sweep the house, until she finds the coin. And that is, it is a, a great picture of the miracle that resides in each of our house. There's the, the coin never left her house, the lost person, if you will, was within reach, within means of her, uh, within in the reach of her ability to begin to minister and reach out. She just had to take up the broom and begin to search. And for you, the broom, the broom for you may be golf clubs. It may be a book. It may be crafts. Whatever, whatever it is that comes naturally for you to find the lost people, take up what comes naturally. Do it and begin to look for the lost people that are in your house that God's placed in your life. And then we're going to pick up in verse 11 of Luke chapter 15 with the lost son. It says this, verse 11, Then Jesus said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together he had, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent, into, sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods 
that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things were, what they meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry. He was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. Verse 29, so he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. And you never gave me even a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, <laughs> as soon as this son of yours, not my brother, but as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours it was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is now found. Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray, God, that you would give us ears this morning to hear what you're saying. Father, I pray that you would even now begin to speak to us about that, that person that you have strategically placed in our lives. Lord, I pray that this week we would have divine supernatural encounters like Kathy was talking about, divine moments, God moments with people around us that you've placed in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to take a look here at some of these things. First off, as we go through this story, we see that he was the, this was the younger son. The younger son comes to the father and says, would you give me the portion uh, of, of your inheritance, of my inheritance? Uh, basically, that was would amount to about a third of the estate as the younger son. He was going to get receive about a third of his father's estate. Normally, that would come at the point of death, but um, not always. Sometimes the parents would give out their estate early uh, so that they could retire, in a sense, and allow their children to manage their estate. But regardless of that, we see the attitude with which the young man comes to his father. He disregards his father's authority and his life. He disregards and, and wants to begin to take his inheritance and waste it on riotous living, on prodigal living. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 29 says, and do not seek what you will eat or what you will drink. Don't keep worrying for all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your father Father knows what you have need of. The Father knows that you have need of these things. Verse 31 of Luke 12 says, But seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. In other words, don't go about worrying uh, about receiving your inheritance. 
God knows what you have need of. As, as believers, uh, how many times do we find ourselves worried about things and, and getting the, the, our attention gets off on the things of this life? Do I have enough money to pay the bills? What about my family? What about my situation? And God says, don't look at those things. Don't worry about those things. Your father knows what you have need of. Do not be afraid, little fox, for your father has chosen gladly. It is your father's good pleasure. He's chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Everything that you have need of. Everything that you have need of. It is the desire of God to take care of your needs. Why seek after things that you'll blow and you'll spend and waste on your own desires. Begin to seek the kingdom of God. Begin to seek after the things of his kingdom. And then God will take care of all of the other needs that you have. If you and I will begin to place our attention on, on fulfilling the call of God in our lives. Begin to reach out to the hurting and the broken that are around us. We begin to see those that are hurting. Those that are in, in desperate need around us. If you and I will begin to see those and begin to fill, fulfill the the call of God on our lives, God will take care of our needs. Amen. How many times, though, do we get caught up in trying to fix our problems to make sure that we're taken care of? But, oh, my friend, if you and I will begin to be about the Father's kingdom, he'll take care of us. I want to take a look here real quickly at this idea of sonship. That's really what we're dealing with here is that the younger son did not understand the power of his sonship. He didn't understand his identity with his father. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 15, it says that we have received not the spirit of slavery, but a, the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. We have a, we have a relationship. We've been brought into the family of God by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of adoption. He makes alive and real to us that we are children of God. Now, how many of you, I grew up with this, and I still hear this all the time, you look just like your dad. And when I was a little little boy, everybody, you, you look just like your dad. I still hear you look just like your dad. Anybody experienced that before in your life? You look like just like your mama. You look just like your daddy. Well, you begin to take on the nature. You have the DNA and the characteristics of your, of your family. Likewise, when people look at you and I, we are children of God. We are sons and daughters of God. We ought to reflect the, the character and the nature of God in our lives. When people look at us, do they see God? When they look at you, do they see God? Jesus said, I am about my Father's business. I don't do anything unless I see the Father do it. I don't speak. I don't say I don't do anything unless the Father does it. Are we in such a relationship, you and I, are we walking and living in such a relationship with God that we act and move and live as God would, as the Father would? You know, the supernatural ministry, the, the, the ministry of God should be so second nature to us. It should be, be the natural outflow of who we are, laying hands 
on the sick, loving the broken, ministering to the hurting. All of these things should be second nature, operating in the spiritual gifts. All of these things should be second nature, absolutely natural for us. That we go through life emulating the, the ministry of our Heavenly Father. Why? Because that's what we see Him doing. If you're not spending time, though, with God, if you're not spending time with the Father, if you're not spending time in the Word, if you're not uh, having your, your prayer time and your worship time with you, how are you going to know what the Father's doing? You're not plugged in. You're not connected. But when we're plugged in and we're connected with the Father, we begin to do and minister as He ministers. Yeah. It's easy to emulate what he does, but oh, it becomes much more difficult to become who he is. When, when it's a character issue, when I was a little boy, if I had a character issue, what, what did mom or dad have to do? It was more than just emulating what he did. There had to be correction that came. Dad had to come and, and, and his swift hand of justice met my glute, gluteus maximus. I mean, there was, a, there, was a, there, was a, there was a connection between my cerebral cortex and my, you know, there had to be a connection that had to be made that this was not the character that I ought to have. Excuse me. And so... When, when dad saw that my character was out of alignment, he had to come in and correct the, the character and the issues in my life. And likewise, when we don't have the character of God in our lives, when we miss the character of our Heavenly Father, he comes in and begins to discipline us and correct us. That's not always fun. It's not always enjoyable. But the, the reality is, is that sanctification has to happen in our lives. The reality is that discipleship has to take place in our lives. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, that you're going to have to take up your cross daily and follow him. If you want to be my disciple, Jesus said, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And he turned to the crowd who was listening to him and said, does this offend you? Jesus, that's a little messy for us. I don't know that I enjoy the thought of eating your flesh and drinking your blood. I don't quite understand that, Jesus. Why? Discipleship has a cost. Sonship has a cost. Identifying with the Father means that we begin to take on his nature and we begin to carry out his ministry. We find our identity in him. Why, why is it that we get so caught up and lost in, in trying to meet the expectations of everyone else around us? We, we have to have the, uh, meet the expectations. We got to uh, make sure that everyone likes us. We don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers. But I, I want to tell you that when you begin to find your identity in God, it doesn't matter what everyone around you thinks. When you have your identity in Christ, it doesn't matter what people think or whether they're, uh, whether they're pleased with your holiness and, and your ministry and what God's doing in your life. How many of you know when you start living holy and you start ministering as, as the Father ministers, you start living and acting and behaving as the Father does, it, it ruffles people the wrong way. That was what was happening with Jesus and the religious leaders. They didn't like that he was... <clears throat> his ministry was impacting people like it was. Secondly, we move on here. And it says that he wasted 
his possessions. He wasted all of his money on prodigal living or riotous living. He was living extravagantly with the worst company. To spend a lifetime with pennies in the company of the righteous is better than a moment spending millions with the company of the godless. You and I, if we begin to live our lives with the company of those who will encourage us to live our lives in a godly way, you and I need to live our lives surrounded by, encouraged by those who are godly and who will build us up. In Hebrews it says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves. The whole point of that is the day is growing evil. We don't want to waste our time uh, allowing people to influence us in an ungodly way. Does that mean that we disconnect ourselves from the world around us? No, that's not what I'm talking about. But who is influencing your life? Are you wasting your time and your energy and your money spending it with people who are discouraging you, who are tearing you down? I I saw this quote the other day, and I like it. If you want to soar with eagles, you got to stop hanging out with the turkeys. He squandered, he wasted his money on riotous living. It means he was living an undisciplined life. That word in the Greek means he was living an undisciplined life. He wasn't being discipled. He wasn't living a life of discipleship. He was living a life uh, spending his time, his effort, his energy on things that wouldn't satisfy. How foolish it would be if you and I were to go and stand at Niagara Falls or the Grand Canyon, and stand on the edge of these mighty things and say, look how great I am. With their shadows, these are shadows of the greatness of God and his his eternal greatness. And yet how often do we brag on our own abilities and our own own, uh, talents and our skills, and yet we miss the greatness and the, the, the majesty of our God. John Piper said, but whatever you do, find the God-centered, Christ-exalting, Bible-saturated passion of your life and find your way to say it and live for it and die for it, and you will make a difference at last. You will not waste your life. Live a disciplined life. Live a life coming under the discipline of the Word. Living your life under the discipline of your spiritual leadership, your pastor. Yeah, amen. God places your pastoral leadership to bring discipline and and covering in your life, to bring protection in your life. And then a Bible-saturated life, filling your life with the Word of God. And I would add to that a spirit empowered. Live your life fully saturated, fully disciplined. And then it goes on to say he spent all 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 of his inheritance and a severe famine. There came a severe famine in the land. You know, Famines never come when you want them to come. The famine didn't come when he had a lot of his money, and the famine didn't come when he still had his, all of his father's wealth. The famine came, the Bible says, after he had spent all that he had. The famines always tend to come. The difficulties always seem to wait for you. Right outside the church doors, you come into church, you enjoy church, and right outside the doors, waiting the devil. And you might go home with the devil. Don't hit your wife or your husband. Not talking about that. You're, so you find yourself going home with the devil and everything seems to fall apart. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's like you, you have a great day in church. You got a word from God and then all of a sudden reality hits you when you step outside the door. I want to ask you this question. Will what you possess sustain you in the time of famine? Woo! 
Jesus in John 21, uh, before he left his disciples, he comes back and he asks the disciples this question. He says, do you have any fish? They're on the seashore and he he says to them, from the, he's out, they're out in the boat, and he from the shoreline says, do you all have any fish? That's southern. Do you all have, all y'all have any fish out there? Have you caught anything? And no. But immediately, they recognize the word of Jesus. And he's still saying to you, to you and I today, do you have any fish? Do you have any sustenance? Is there anything that will sustain you in the time of hunger? Heather and I were watching... Um, Shark Tank the other day. I don't know if anybody's familiar with Shark Tank. We like Shark Tank. It's one of our TV shows that we record and watch. And this guy came in in the, in the Shark Tank, and he comes in, and he's asking for $500,000 or whatever, and he has this product. And he had spent thousands of dollars in research and development. That, obviously, this guy was a research and development guy. But he had no sales. He'd spent all of his money in research and development, but he never had, he didn't have any sales. And here he is asking these investors for $500,000 with no sales. And we all on, you know, we're all watching this on TV and we're all thinking, you're a moron. I know, I'm not an entrepreneur, but I know that you got to have sales if you want, you know, people to invest. But how sad is it that as Christians, we're the same way. We've got the research and development down. We've got the, we know the owner's manual forwards and backwards. But when the reality hits the road, we have no experience with what we've researched. We have no real encounter with the understanding of what God has said. And I want to encourage you that you and I have to have the sustenance of the word of God and the encounter with his spirit, the reality, spirit and truth meeting in our lives to sustain us in the time of famine. We can't uh, just go on what mom or dad said or uh, just because I've had the religious experience. No, you and I have to have the Word of God and the Spirit of God active in our lives. In Isaiah 55, it says, Everyone who thirsts, ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy, eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend your money for what is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy. Listen carefully to me. Eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. God wants you to delight in his abundance. Stop wasting your energy and your efforts on things that don't satisfy. Will what you have sustain you in the time of famine? The Laodicean church thought they had it all together. Thought they had the riches to sustain them. But in Revelation 3, Jesus said to you, you are lukewarm. I wish that you were either hot or cold, but you're neither, and I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I advise you to come by from me. Come, come receive from me. And God's still saying to you and I today, you think you've got it all together. You think you've got it all, uh, all figured out, but you're wasting. You're wasting your life. You're wasting the, the, your, your time and your energy and what I've given you. Come buy from me. Come receive from me. Don't waste. Don't waste the word. Don't waste. Don't miss out. On your encounter with God for yourself. Don't miss out on, on your experience with taking, taking the preciousness of the word Amen. and allowing the spirit of God to make it real and alive in your life. Let it not just be words on a page, but may it become the very sustenance of your life. Yeah. In Amos chapter 8, 
God says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor of thirst for water, but hearing the words of the Lord. We're living in a day where there is a famine of the word of God. There's a famine of God-centered messages. We're, there's, a, there's a prevalent message in the church these days that uh, God is more concerned about your prosperity in this life and your comfort in this life, and I would, I would have to differ with that. I think if you were to go, and, and I think God wants to take care of our needs and meet our needs, but I think if you were to go and ask some of the martyrs uh, whether or not God was concerned with their uh, being comfortable in this life, they might vary on, our, on opinion in that. Why, why is that? Because we've watered down the gospel. We don't preach. There, there's preachers on TV and churches that aren't preaching the gospel. God will bless you and he will take care of you. But God's concern is not primarily for your physical comfort as much as your spiritual safety. He's more concerned about your spiritual well-being than your, your natural man. There's a famine of the word. We have to have God-centered, Bible-saturated, Christ-exalting, spirit-empowered messages that, that are changed. That's what will transform lives. That's what will sustain you in the day of famine. That is the word that will say, you know, it was interesting. Being in New Orleans with uh, Katrina land, for years after Katrina, people would come. And they would drive up to get their food, and their, their, they'd ask for money and their food. And it was interesting, you would have the man drive up, ride up on his bike, and at the same time, you'd have the person driving in in their BMW or their Lexus or whatever. Didn't matter. When Katrina came, everything got leveled. Doesn't matter. So what, what you have today can be gone tomorrow. None of those things matter. All that matters is what you have in the Word of God. Will it sustain you? Will it keep you in the day of famine? We move along. It says that he went and he joined himself. He hired himself out to feed pigs. <laughs> Shows the desperate situation that he's in. Obviously, for the Jews, for him to be feeding pigs is a great humiliation. They were considered unclean, they weren't supposed to touch them. He was at the bottom. How many times do you and I have to find ourselves at the bottom before we realize we have issues we got to deal with? be much easier if we would just yield to God at the beginning, but sometimes we've got to fight through and get in the pig slot before we realize maybe, maybe you'll wake up today and smell the dirty pig waters, become the joke. You've got to smell the hogwash. You've got to look around you and begin to see the pig slot that you're in before you say, God, I need you to transform my life. I need you to change my life. We fail to recognize, when we fail to recognize our issues, we fail to grow. Failure to recognize and grow from our issues is, will inevitably cause us to end up in pig slop. If you don't deal with the issues, keep hiding, keep running. Oh, I don't have to deal with that. I'll just put that under the rug. We'll get to that later. God, I don't want to deal with that. We'll just keep moving on. We'll keep fast forward. We'll just keep going. Eventually, you'll find yourself in a mess. Deal with the issues. Face the reality. This man could have, from the very beginning, recognized the authority of his dad, submitted to his father, allowed the father to bless him with the inheritance when he was mature and ready to handle the inheritance. He could have asked his father for help. All of these things that he missed out, he didn't do. 
And he ended up in the mess. The same is true of our spiritual authority. You can get mad at me all you want. You can go down to the church, down the road, that's fine. Go, go, you run whatever you want to do. I have a feeling, though, that you're going to find the problem follows you there. <laughs> Why is that? Because it's probably not me that's the problem. You're running from facing the issues. The father was not the problem. It was the younger brother who had issues in his heart that he needed God to resolve. And the same is true of us. We must yield to God and allow him to transform our hearts. You can run, but you can't hide. The Holy Spirit knows what pig farm you're on. <laughs> he knows exactly what pig farm you're hiding out on, and he can find you right in the middle of it. In Illinois, when I lived in Illinois, we had, we had the pig farm uh, not, down, not too far from where we lived. And man, I'm telling you, when the storm came, when you had a storm blow through, that You'd drive by that pig farm, and man, there was a, there was a special smell that <laughs> just came from that pig farm. All of a sudden, the smell of the fresh rain turned really bad. <laughs> God knows what pig farm you're hiding out in, and there's no stench or smell that will keep him away. Maybe you're, maybe you're camped out in the pig farm or broken marriages. Maybe you're camped out in the farm of past offense. Maybe you're here today and you're camped out somewhere in the pig farm of addiction or immorality. Whatever, doesn't matter. Whatever pig slop you find yourself in today. Yes, I'm talking to Christians. Yes, I'm talking to Christian people and believers this morning. I'm talking to you. It doesn't matter what pig farm you find yourself in. You can still make your way out of that mess. God can redeem your life out of that mess, out of the issues that you're dealing with, if you'll be willing to return home. If you'll be willing to yield to God, yield to the Father's authority in your life. This, continue on, it says that he came to himself. The, the Greek here gives us the idea that he was deranged or insane, that he came to himself as a deranged or insane person would, sort of like the demoniac of the Gadarenes, that uh, he came to himself and realized where he was and where he was at. He had a reality check. I remember uh, in New Orleans, we were ministering in New Orleans, and there was this lady in one of the altar calls. We were going through praying for people, and you know, as we're praying, you know, you're praying for hundreds of people as you're going through praying, and there was this Lady, and I, she caught my attention, but you know, when you're praying for that many people, you just keep moving. You just got to keep moving, otherwise you'll be there all night long. And there was a particular lady that we were praying for as we were going through. We went and laid, and I don't even know that I actually even laid hands on her. I just saw her go down, and she started manifesting, extremely manifesting. And she was, there was something demonic going on, and it took this, this lady who was probably the size of Jessica or smaller, took six full-grown men to hold her down. And she was, it was quite, she was, you know, she was demon-possessed. And she was totally out of her mind, totally, totally not quite, and to hear her, she was out of her mind talking. She was biting, kicking, spitting, all the, everything, you know. 
And uh, so she was fully engaged. We're walking through praying for people. And within the hour, she was delivered. In her right mind, she sat up. She was talking. She was quoting back parts of the message that she had, that God had, was dealing with her about it. And even being demon possessed, things that she had picked up on in the message. It was awesome. But you, you know, we often think about the demon possessed. Oh, well, they, you know, those are the people out of their mind. Well, you can be here this morning and in deception. You can be a Christian and caught up in deception. You may not have uh, be demon possessed this morning, but you've allowed deception, false perceptions of reality to control your mind. You're, you, you've picked up on false realities about maybe what what other people have done, maybe you've been hurt or offended, or, or maybe people in church have done something, whatever the case is, but you've allowed false perceptions to control your thoughts, and you're living in deception. The unfortunate thing is, when you're deceived, you don't know you're deceived. It's part of being deceived, right? You don't know that you're deceived. So the only way to get out of deception is by allowing your, yourself to be in a place where you can have a God encounter. You've got to have God reveal to you that you have deception in your life. So you've got to strategically, purposefully, intentionally place yourself in a position to have an encounter with God. That's why we talk about saturation so much in worship and prayer. You've got to be in the Word, the altar times, the ministry time. All of these things are places of saturation where God can begin to reveal the issues of your heart, the deception of your heart, and where God needs to come in and transform those areas of your life. I find, though, that many times the people who have problems with saturation, the people that have a problem with lingering in the presence of God, staying in the presence of God, are the ones with deception. (laughs) A great example of that is Adam and Eve in the garden. They could have been in the presence of God. They could have been enjoying the presence of God. But no, where were they? They were hiding out from. They were trying to stay out of the presence of God when sin and deception entered because they didn't want the, the sin and the things that they were harboring revealed. So many times those, that, that's an indicator. Uh, we, we joke around a lot. Not so much here, but we, we have in the past that the uh, altar calls are always a great indicator of where people are at spiritually. If you're afraid of the altar, if you find yourself afraid of the altar, afraid of the presence of God, there might be deception. <laughs> there might be something in your heart that's keeping you out of or keeping you from responding to the presence of the Lord. You're afraid of, oh, if I step into the altar and the presence of God begins to minister to me, that issue might come out. Good. <laughs> Good. Expose it. That's what we want. We want, we need the issues of our heart exposed. It's not a place of judgment and condemnation for so long. That might be part of the problem is for so long we've lived like the older brother that sits in judgment and condemnation of everyone around us who is uh, having an encounter with the presence of God. That when the presence of God starts to change people's lives, we run from it because we don't want to be the one that is getting judged because we've sat in judgment of everybody else. Y'all are getting quiet out there. That are my, my congestions messing with me this morning. We'll just blame the congestion. And so he comes to the realization that he needs to get home. He comes to the realization and he says, I'll, I will arise. This term here, I will arise, is not just a physical, it's not just him physically getting up. It's an attitude of his heart that he's got to begin to go back home. And he goes home. He goes back to his dad and he says, Dad, 
I recognize your authority. You're my father. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you as, as my family. I've sinned, sinned against you as, as my father. I've, I've messed up. I've blown it. And the father does three things. He runs to him. Out of his compassion, the father runs to him and falls on him and embraces him, kisses him. In other words, the, we see here the, the picture of the urgency of his compassion. God responds quickly when we respond and yield to him. He comes quickly and takes us in. He embraces us and welcomes us home. And he begins to love us and, and reconcile us. He begins to reconcile. There, maybe there's areas of your heart that need reconciled today. Maybe you're in the negative. You know, I start thinking numbers here. When you start talking about reconciling your checkbook, maybe you're in the red somewhere in your heart. Maybe there's uh, offense or hurt or sin issues or whatever it is. You're, you need reconciliation. You need the Holy Spirit to come and equal things out, bring you back in and restore you. And then three things he gave him. He puts on him the best robe. We've taken off. God's not given me a garment of heaviness. I don't have to wear a garment of despair and depression and discouragement. I don't have to live in condemnation. I don't have to wear the garment of condemnation. When I come to Christ, he gives me his garments. He gives me the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. I, put on, I take off my beggar's garment. I take off the rags. I'm no longer identified by the rags of the, of the past. I'm identified by Christ's righteousness in my life. I don't have to find myself anymore wearing the garments of my past. I'm putting on my father's clothes. I'm putting on my father's garment. I'm putting on his ring. That was the ring. It was the ring of favor. It was the ring of the signet ring. It was the signature ring. It was the ring of favor. I'm putting on the favor of my dad. You've been marked with the Holy Spirit. If you're here this morning, you're born again. You've got the seal of the Holy Ghost on your life. Live like it. Stop living, living in slavery. Get back about your father's house. Get back to the father's house. Start living in the fullness of your heavenly father. And he put shoes on his feet. He restored the peace of his life. He restored the destiny and the purpose of his life. I want to wrap up with this thought. Grace, y'all can come back. <clears throat> I apologize for my uh, issues this morning. I have to get my issues dealt with. I need my healing, Jesus. Get my issues. See, we all have issues. I got health issues. We all got issues. <laughs> yes, amen. We all have issues. <laughs> Luke chapter 15, verse 24. It says, For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And I love this. It says, And they began to be merry. Everybody say, Began. That wasn't everybody. I'll forgive you. I won't be offended. I'm just joking. They, they began to be merry. The word merry there is the word joy. You see, when you and I get born again, we're set free or delivered. We go, God transforms our lives, all these things. There's a joy that comes. There's, there's joy when you get set free from something right? There's joy when you forgive someone. There's joy. There's joy in your life when you experience the freedom of the Lord in your life. But it says that they began to be merry. They began to be joyful. That tells me that, that, that joy is a continual process and has to be maintained. 
David said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. That means that you and I, because of issues and because of squandering our inheritance, can lose the joy of our salvation. We can we can miss out on the joy. And sometimes we've got to come back to the place and say, God, would you restore your joy in my life? Would you restore, help me to maintain your joy in my life? Maybe you're here this morning and the circumstances of life have robbed you of your joy. Then the older brother had a problem with the joy. Isn't it funny that and the older brother is a picture of the religious. Isn't it funny that the religious always have a problem with joy? I always get, it's funny, I always get ridiculed. Why do people laugh in your church? Would you rather them cry in my church? Would you rather them be depressed and discouraged, beat up and defeated every day? Would you rather them have the joy of the Lord in their life? I don't know about you, but I'd take supernatural joy any day over depression. It's funny, the religious, you shouldn't laugh. I mean, that's uncontrollable. I never understand that. It's uncontrollable. Who, why? You're not in control anyway. Let him restore your joy. I want to encourage you. There's someone around you and might have find themselves outside of the Father's house. Matter of fact, I can guarantee, unless you're a hermit, which obviously you're here, so I don't think you are, there's someone around you that is outside the Father's house. And you and I are responsible to bring them back. I mean, here's the father running after. He sees the son at a distance and he goes running after. Wouldn't it be awesome that each of us have the ministry of our father and would do likewise and go running after them even when they're at a distance and bring them back in to the father's house? A lot of times though, and this was kind of my point, is that we find ourselves too much like the older brother we miss our opportunity to run out. The older brother wasn't even around when his younger brother came back. He was out taking care of his business, doing his thing. Missed, missed it, totally missed when the younger brother came back. Missed the opportunity to celebrate, missed the opportunity. Thank you for joining the Celebration Podcast. For more information, visit ccacron.org or call us at 330-762-7458. You can also download the Celebration app from iTunes or the Android store. With my father, it's so awesome.